Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good afternoon. What a privilege it is to be with y'all. I would love to invite you uh, to join with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I've been keeping up with the series prior to our time together for Awaken. And I've been deeply encouraged by the messages out of Acts chapter 6 that shows what it looks like to be devoted together. People of prayer, people of God's word, people of togetherness. And as I've been praying and asking the Lord what is the direction in which he would direct my heart and guide my heart to share from his word a message of hope and truth and encouragement to just fan the flame of the great things that he is already doing. And so in this passage today is the passage that I feel that the Father wants us to come together and to consider these truths. What I'd love to do is read the Word of God, pray, and then dive into God's Word together this morning. Well, I'm bugging this afternoon. It's afternoon. So the Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him alone be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go before the Lord. Father, in this moment you have intersected our lives together. And Father, I pray that in the preciousness of the time that we have together, that you would allow my voice to be nothing more than a microphone to amplify your heart to your people. So I pray that we would be attentive hearers of the word. But Holy Spirit, I also pray that you would mobilize the hearts of every hearer to not be content with just hearing the word, but let us be discontent so that we would be motivated to mobilize and be doers of the word. I'm grateful for the work that you have started, that you will maintain, and that you will continue to do, Father God, through Hope Church. We humbly approach your throne of grace knowing that we have been heard, and all prayers that we give are surrendered in the matchless, mighty, conquering name of Jesus alone. Amen and amen. You know, this idea of awaken is obviously something that the evil one does not want to take place in here, in Vegas, or anywhere else. The greatest thing that the enemy can do is seek to throw tools in your pathway that you would take up as distractions and begin to try to deconstruct the things that God wants to continuously build as Christ is building his church. 
And those tools that I want you to be cognizant and aware of are tools of division, disunity, and discouragement. The evil one would want you to be so discouraged that you feel that your prayers are not being heard, they're not being answered, that awaken would just be another series that comes and goes, that the truthfulness of this passage is not something that can be lived out. And he wants you discouraged. He wants you divided amongst each other. Division simply is not just people having different perspectives, but they're speaking two different ways of moving forward with the current context that they're in. So there's two different visions. If there's two different visions, there can't be unity. There can't be togetherness. There can't be oneness. So he wants you to work against unity by exploring pathways of division. And if he does that, then there's disunity. And then everything that you've been hearing over the past few weeks, everything that you're going to hear this morning, this evening, tomorrow, and beyond, you'll never see brought to fruition. That's exactly what the evil one wants because it is the opposite of God's design. God does not design our time of prayer and togetherness and being people of the word just for the benefit of our own personal walk. It's for the come up of the entire body of Christ collectively. And so when we shed our own personal preferences and, and, and the idol of self and self-centeredness, and when we, when we get free from the chains of selfism, and we lift up our holy hands and we unite together in one accord as the singular family of God, He shows up and does amazing things. And so as we look at this text, I felt that we should call it one voice, one revival. Not multiple voices, multiple revivals. One voice as the one people of God, the one family of God, so that we can see God do a revival in our midst. The main point from this passage, I think, is simply put, spiritual awakenings happen when unity within the body of Christ is lived out by praying together. Simple and plain, spiritual awakenings happen when unity within the body of Christ is lived out by praying together. And I think there's three tangible handles that we can grasp from this passage today. The first one is what it means to have face-to-face -face time with the Father. That leads then for us to make fearless requests made by faith when we know that we're talking face to face with our Father. And then number three, the fruit that it will produce is a focus on family fellowship. Family fellowship is the focus. So the first thing is face to face time with the Father. Paul opens up this text and he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now this phrase is actually the conclusion that it's just come from a parenthetical phrasing. It's almost like when we've got together and we're praying and the person that's going to lead us in a time of prayer says, all right, everybody grab the hand of the person next to you. We're going to go before the throne. And they're about to pray and they say, but you know what? I want to say something. And like they just start talking right before we pray. And it's like, well, I thought we was going to pray, bro. What is you doing, right? But, but they're giving words of admonishment, words of, words of encouragement. It's exactly what Paul was doing. He wasn't wasting his words. He was going back to remind the people of God the privilege that it is to be the people of God. He's reflecting coming out of chapter 2 the beauty of what Jesus' work had accomplished through his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus Christ has obliterated every wall of segregation that human hands have built to keep us divided from each other. That's not something we should take lightly. As we're going into prayer, 
What the finished work of Christ reminds us is that the walls of classism and elitism and sexism and racism, they've all been destroyed. And we are the tangible reality of Christ's victory. So as we are holding hands and praying and there's this idea of togetherness, Paul is reminding us for this reason, because of the diversity that is present in the body of Christ, diversity amongst genders, diversity amongst ethnic people groups, languages that are spoken, socioeconomic rhythms, life stories, and the pasts, all of our stuff is different. There's a diversity We don't want to die down that diversity. No, highlight the diversity to show that Jesus is fully capable of seeking and saving the lost from anywhere, at any time, in any place. And so that diversity, as distinct as we are as people politically, even sport team-wise, who we cheering for, ain't going to lie, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm a diehard Chiefs fan. No shade to Vegas. I know y'all raid a country now, and that's all good. That's the diversity I'm talking about. <laughs> Is that although y'all can rock, rock the black and, and, and silver and rock the shield, like, that's, that's cool. That's great. The reality is, is that even though in our diversity, we come together as the body of Christ, and there's something that unifies us, and that is the common confession, Jesus is our Lord. He is our Lord. This diversity within the framework of unity is something that the world can't understand. They can't understand. In fact, they don't want it to succeed. So they will throw shade. They will wait for it to self-destruct. The world is waiting for the testimony of Hope Church to become a thing of the past. The evil one himself does not want to see flourishing amongst the diversity, but yet the unity and togetherness as the people of God. So when Paul says, for this reason, that's what he's talking about. For this reason that we have been gathered together from every part of the world, different generations, we bow our knees before the Father. Paul's language of bowing his knees before the Father is different than what was the typical prayer practice positioning in his day. It would be standing up, arms open, and looking up to heaven. And what Paul is saying is, I bow my knees before the Father, is that he is saying, I am physically putting myself in a place of need and desperation. I am fully dependent on the one that I am making the request to. See, prayer is the antidote for pride. Pride says, I don't need to talk to God. He he got other things to worry about. I got this, Lord, you, do you, and I'm going to do me. I'm going to work things out with my own strength and my own time. I got to make moves. I've been throwing prayers up to you. You ain't listening, so I got to do it. That's arrogance. Arrogance says I don't need to talk to God. But there is a confidence that we can have in knowing that he is our father that would woo us into his presence on a regular, everyday basis. That if prayer is the antidote for pride, prayer is telling God, I ain't got it all together. Prayer is saying, I ain't got the strength. I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I'm weary. I can't go another day. It doesn't make sense to me right now. I'm on fumes. I'm tapped out. I ain't got it, God, but you got it. And I need you to hold me up and sustain me in the moment of weakness. Prayer is saying, I have needs, and I'm fully dependent on you to meet these needs, God. But he says, Father... That phrasing suggests two people having a face-to-face conversation. A child going to their father. 
For some of us, the word father arouses a whole kind of different type of emotion. Neglect, abuse, abandonment, frustration, disappointment, hurt, joy, sadness, all kinds of emotions. And sometimes it's hard for me to picture God as father just because of the baggage that I not only have with my own biological dad, but even the mistakes I've made as a dad to my own children. The thing that I have to constantly remind my children is daddy's going to disappoint you. He's going to frustrate you. Daddy's going to be wrong in his assessment on things. Daddy ain't going to do everything right all the time. But every mistake daddy makes only should highlight Jesus is more beautiful and more perfect than daddy could ever be. So it's taken me a long time to understand God as father. But, but this idea of bowing my knees to God the Father, Paul is saying, is that it's a face-to-face intimate conversation. It leads to a confidence, the opposite of arrogance. It reminds me of a time when, before I entered into the ministry, I was basically a glorified secretary for an organization. And we had a Christmas banquet meal, and the CEO himself came up to me and asked me, would you say the grace? I know you're going to become a, a man of the cloth sometime in the future, as you have told us. So would you say the blessing? And I said, yeah, not a problem. And so we're about to dig into our chicken. I was hungry, so it was going to be a very concise prayer. (laughs) And I said, would you bow your heads with me if you would like to? And then I just said, Father, we thank you for this moment that we have in time. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Bless the hands that prepared it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That was it. Short, simple, to the point. Sat down. My wife was like, hey, the CEO keeps looking at you. And I'm like, oh, he probably tripping. I said, in Jesus' name, right? Like, and so now he starts motioning over to me, and I'm like, oh, man, here we go. And so I said, baby, save it that chicken. I don't know when the next meal coming. <laughs> Just being honest with y'all. I walked over. He took me behind a veil, and I'm like, dang, man, this is really going to go down. And so he said, uh, you know, Damon, I was raised Catholic. And I was like, okay. I was like, much of my family is Catholic. So I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. So he's just like, well... I've heard many priests, many people pray. One thing I can't figure out is how are you so confident when you talk to God? You talk as if you know him. And I was like, oh, that's what this is about. And he was like, what'd you think? I'm like, I thought you was going to fire me for saying in Jesus' name. (laughs) And he was like, no, 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 I wasn't going to do that. And I'm like, well, thank you, man. I was like, but let's talk about knowing God. And that's what I'm talking about is a green light, a softball from God the Father saying, make my son known. And I shared the gospel with him, told him, man, I know him as Father. I know him intimately, and when I pray, he listens intently into what I'm saying. And it's all because I've embraced Jesus Christ, the only means of salvation that could bring sinners from any walk of life into a right relationship with God, to not just know him as creator, but to know him as Father. I've been adopted into the family of God. Laid it out for him. And he was like, man, good for you. Enjoy your chicken. And I was like, I show him, brother. So like, but this is the idea of confidence. Remember, arrogance says, I don't need to talk to God. Confidence says, I'm running to talk to God. I'm running to talk to my father who has an open door policy, whose son has given me an all-access pass that has no expiration date. I can go to God while I'm laying in bed in the morning of the midnight hour. I can run to him when I'm sitting in traffic on the freeway. I can run to him when things are bad, when things are good, or when things are the everyday ritualistic mundane. 
So when you were devoted together in prayer, seeking your common father, our common father, have confidence. The same confidence that Paul had. He was indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that you and I are indwelt with. You don't have to be super saved or Christian 2.0 to go into the presence of God. If you've embraced Christ by grace through faith, you're family. So have the confidence to go to your father. Because Paul says, from whom every name or every family in heaven and on earth is named. That idea of family speaks of those who share the same father. And see, what we got to understand is nobody's born a Christian. Nobody's born saved. And that may be the first time you've ever heard it put that way, but it's the honest to God's truth. I didn't come here to lie to y'all. See, the reality of what happened was is that at one time the entire human race was in a right relationship with God until our first father, Adam, deliberately disobeyed God. When he disobeyed God, it separated us from our holy and righteous perfect creator because we are tainted by sin. We inherited what is called a sin nature from our first father, Adam. Psalm 51.5 tells us that while we were being shaped in our mother's wombs, sin was already present inside of us. Psalm 58.3 says, from the womb the wicked come forth speaking lies, which means every single one of our native languages is lying. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. We're natural born sinners. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are spiritually dead, separated from God who is the source of all life. That's not based on your gender, your ethnicity, your social class, where are you from. It's because we've inherited sin as human beings. And the reality of that says that we are spiritually illegitimate. The only way to become legitimate sons and daughters of the Most High God is by Him adopting us into His family. And He does that only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So as we think about sin that we've inherited, we are natural sinners. All we do is become better sin practitioners every day. We're professional sinners. And with sin comes a penalty and a price. The penalty is death, and the price is pure blood shed from an unblemished sacrifice. But since we're already blemished, we can't offer even our own shed blood because God ain't got a layaway plan for our sin debt. God doesn't take installments monthly like credit card companies. God doesn't charge super extra interest. We can't even pay the principal debt because there's nothing we can offer. But the good news of the gospel is there is one form and only one form of currency that God accepts for the removal of our entire sin debt, and that is pure bloodshed from an unblemished sacrifice. And so it reminds me of the time that when we would take our son to Target. My son Deuce loves Legos. And the brother is a slick talker because every time we go to Legos, somehow we go to Target, we come out with Legos. The brother just has his way. So I remember it was late at night, didn't want my wife to go to Target. And so I said, I'll go, baby. I'll make the run for us that we need. And my son heard me going to Target. And he was like, Dad, I want to go with you. And Alicia was like, yes, take that, brother. Get him out the house. <laughs> and I was like, okay, mijo, put on your Batman slippers and let's ride. And so he says, Dad, I want Legos. And I'm like, I know, brother. You always say that. This time, Daddy ain't going to buy you Legos. And he was like, no, I'm going to buy them. And I'm like, bro, you five. Where do you get money from? Like... You, you ain't got no chores. You ain't got no allowance. He's like, I got money. I'm like, mm, what you doing when I ain't watching? Like, and so I'm like, all right, get your money, man. So he got his little Batman, little coin, coin bank, and he ended up taking out a wad of cash and stuffing it in his little pocket. And I was like, you selling dope, bro? Like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm going to buy my Legos. And I'm like, all right, man. And so we went to, to, to the store. We went to Target, and we ended up getting to the checkout line, and 
My son put his box of Legos that was $19.99, and with tax in L.A. County, took it up to $65. Just, I was like, all right, brother, you're going to learn about tax today, you know. And so the lady is like checking out of our stuff and running up that bill, and then she comes to the Legos, and she's like, oh, who are these for? And he's like, I'm going to buy them. And I'm like, he still think he's going to buy these things. And so I'm like, all right, bro, let me see your money. So he reaches into his pocket. And he pulls out wadded up fake Target dollar bills. <clears throat> but in his mind, he thinks he is legit going to buy that Lego set. And so I'm like, and the lady's just like, oh. And I'm like, uh, hold on, it's a life lesson going on right now. <laughs> and so I looked at him and I said, mijo, listen. I said, there's only one type of money that Target accepts. It's, it's American dollars. I said, what you have in your hand is fake money. And he was like, what? See, what had happened was, is the Christmas before this, we bought a little Target fake checkout stand. Had little boxes of cereal and whatnot. Came with a cash drawer, and in that cash drawer was supplied with fake Target money that has in bold letters, not legal tender in the United States of America. <laughs> but in his mind, it's legit. It's the payment that he wanted to offer because he thought that he could purchase the Legos with this. So I said, mijo, no, if, if you give daddy that money and daddy gives this woman that money, that police officer at the door <laughs> is going to arrest daddy for a felony. And he was like, I don't want you to go to jail. And I'm like, I'm not because we ain't even going to offer that. So then I took out the debit card and I said, mommy puts money in the bank, which gives daddy this card that allows me to spend money. So I put the chip in the chip reader. And I'm telling him, right now, Target is going to mommy and daddy's bank and saying, here's the amount of money for everything that has been charged. And the bank is saying, make it rain. It's going to make the payment. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this word approved pop up on the register. And that's not one of his sight words. So I said, mijo, that word is approved, which means Target has accepted the money that daddy has paid for the debt. And there's this little piece of paper that's coming out the register. What is it? He said, it's a receipt. I'm like, exactly. So now they're going to give daddy the receipt. I'm going to take these bags. We're going to walk out of the store. The officer will not arrest daddy because I legit bought these items with the only currency that Target accepts. So we're walking by the officer and I'm like, have a good evening, sir. My son is just looking really crazy. And the officer waves and my son says, I don't want my daddy to go to jail. And I said, stop. You're going to make him think we're doing something we ain't doing, bro. You need to chill, little man. Be silent, all right? So we walk out. We get back to the house. And he's telling everybody, I thought dad was going to go to jail. And my wife is like, what? And I'm like, we had a life lesson, baby. So the only way I knew to get him off of that whole situation about what could have happened is by giving him the gift. I gave him the gift. And I said, mijo, you couldn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. And you sure don't deserve it. <laughs> but I said I paid the necessary price. This is mine, but I'm giving it to you. That's the gospel. That's Christ. Because you see, you and I have a debt, and we think that maybe church attendance, being religious, or as a millennial, being spiritual, being a good person, Getting an education, having a nice car, having money in a bank account, giving a little bit to charity here and there, not killing anybody, not doing anything severely wrong. We think that those are forms of payment to pay off the sin debt that we owe, and really in the scheme of God's economy, it's fake target money. The reality of what Jesus did 
is that he clothed himself in human flesh. He lived the perfect life we could never live in complete obedience to 613 laws of God. He climbed on a cross, and when he was on that cross, that was God now saying, I'm swiping the debit card for the payment that Jesus was offering. And what's beautiful about what Jesus did is he shed his blood. His blood, which was unblemished from a sacrifice that was pure, is the only acceptable currency that the Father would accept. So when he was buried, that was everybody in the universe waiting, is the payments accepted? And three days later, when he walked out that grave, that was God telling the universe approved that the payment was received, the debt has been paid, and God has been approved. So that everyone who would hear the testimony of the gospel of the work of Jesus Christ Sinners from every imaginable background that know that there's nothing I can do to pay off my sin, that by faith I would embrace what Jesus did in my place, your debt is washed away. You have been made clean. You're a new creation in Christ. You are then adopted into the family of God. He is now your father. He was just your creator up until the embracing of Christ. Now he is your father. Now you are family. So if you are family, he is your father. Stop staying away from his presence and run to your daddy in your time of need. And when you go before him, make fearless requests in faith. Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. That phrase, according to the riches of his glory, is when somebody gives beyond the stated need. It reminds me of the time when I first started college. I didn't think I could go to school, didn't think I'd ever go to college. And this lady told me about a scholarship program, and I applied for it, and God's grace, I was awarded the H&R Block Scholars Program. And so I went, and they said, just take this down to the registrar. You will have all your tuition taken care of. They'll give you an item for your books in the bookstore. Go to the bookstore, all your books, and any supplies that you need will be given to you. And I was like, okay. They said, we'll take care of your books, your fees, and your tuition. I didn't think nothing about it because I'd never experienced college. Nobody in my family ever went to college before. So I'm like, all right, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, they said, this is the amount of money you're going to be getting for a return check. I said, a return check? What are you talking about? They said, well, your tuition costs this. Your fees cost this. Your books cost this. Mr. Block has allotted this amount of money for you. So what you didn't spend, you have overage. That overage is going to be given back to you in the form of a check. He knew your need, but he gave more than what you needed. And I said, so wait a minute, time out. You mean that brother paying me to go to college? <laughs> and they said yes. And I'm like, well, how much are we talking about? I'm thinking, you know, what, seven and a quarter an hour? I don't understand. They show me that number, I almost faint. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Like, I didn't know money really came with a comma. Like, really? <laughs> I grew up poor. There's no other way to say it. I'm sitting there like, I ain't never had this money before in my life. Like, what do I do? They was like, use it wisely. So when I would go to school every semester, I learned like, oh man, like, yes, I want this. I want to take that class. Take that class. I need these books. I need these supplies. Overage check, overage check, overage check. It was always above and beyond the stated need. Now, when we look at this text, what Paul is saying is, when you go before your daddy and you're tired, you're burnt out, you're weary, 
You ain't got nothing left. You're on fumes. You're tapped out. He's saying, go before your father and make the fearless request. Give me strength according to your riches, which means here's my need. Now give me above and beyond what I could ever ask for, imagine, or believe that you would give. Give it to me, Father, since you're a good father. See, what's amazing is we, we, we discount God. God is omnipotent, which means he lacks no power. It ain't like God is saying, I, I got I to come a little late with my gift this time. Times is hard. People ain't giving as much. No. He's omnipotent. The request that we're making is not for financial sustainability. It's for spiritual strength when it gets hard living on mission in a world that hates God. He's saying, I got you. Come to me so that you would be strengthened. See, the whole purpose of the gift that God gives us for strength spiritually is that we would be strengthened. Strengthened for what? So that we would give strength to others. This is why every good gift that God gives is not just for me to come up, but it's for all of us to eat. It's the family meal. See, when I, well, I mean, how would I look as a dad sitting down at dinner and my family is hungry, the only meal that we got all day and my wife makes the plate for me and I selfishly just eat it for me while they all just looking at me. You'd be like, oh, that's abuse. That's neglect. Brother, that's wrong. Well, you know what? We often do the same thing when we give a gimme, gimme, gimme list to God and he blesses us and then we hoard it all for ourselves when there's brothers and sisters in our midst with need, struggling with depression, infidelity in marriage, rebellious children, depression and suicidal ideations. Oh, man, I'm praying for you, but you know what? I'm good, so I'm straight. No. God blessed you to bless others. He gave much so that you would be generous. See, when we get strength, it's to give strength to others. And then we go back to God for more strength. And it's this constant cycle. We request, He gives, we give. We go back. Request, He gives, we give. And imagine if two, three thousand people are doing this together as one voice. That's the revival we want to see. And it doesn't stop tomorrow night. You see, that's what I'm saying. God is not like, yeah, I'm just only going to grant these requests for the next 48 hours. No. This is the type of revival that we don't want to see end until Jesus comes back. That's how we got to pray. God, keep us active. Keep us mobile. Keep us working together so that Christ would be seen dwelling in our hearts through faith. The idea of Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that language that Paul uses is not talking about a temporary short-term visit. It's talking about permanency. And you know, when Jesus is a permanent resident, he gets to make whatever renovations he wants. See, that's the idea of going to the Word, going to prayer together, is that all of us, even like Hope's Campus, in renovation, construction. Obviously, God is doing something here. I know it's inconvenient to walk around and get dirt on your shoes walking into service on Sunday. I know you may have to wait for the golf cart an extra five minutes to get you to the sanctuary. Listen, those are, those are growing pains. Those are growing pains. You know, there's churches in this city that ain't seen one person make a profession of faith in decades. There's churches in this city that are going to close probably today, and they have not filled up the baptismal in decades. There are churches that are still open, people coming, but they stopped preaching the gospel decades ago. See, God is doing something unique here. 
Something that I never want you to get used to. That's another issue that Satan would want, is that you get used to things growing and flourishing. No. Y'all can't send out teams fast enough. God keeps replenishing with people hearing the gospel and making professions of faith. You're raising up teams and you're sending them out, and God keeps adding. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. That's because Jesus is doing the renovative work in the hearts and lives of people here at Hope, and he's saying, now go share this in the shadows of society who have not seen the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of my followers. See, Jesus is talking about permanent residency so he can do the renovations that he wants when there's growth and expansion. The revival we're expecting, we're praying, but we're expecting is one that will not be stifled or come with an expiration date, that it would be fluid and keep going as we keep praying, keep preaching, keep intersecting our lives together. The second request, he says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. That word rooted means to become established and stable. See, if Jesus is going to stay for the permanent, he's going to root you and establish you and make you stable. But what are you, what's the soil that you're, that you're rooted in? It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. This idea of being rooted and grounded in love is the language that says immovable and secure. You know, my dad, he's struggling with cancer again. And this time it's come back worse, and it's spreading. And we went back to Kansas City in May, where I'm from. And we spent some time with him, and we went back to the airport in Kansas City to fly back home to Los Angeles. An EF4 tornado hit right near the airport. So they got everybody out of security. Everybody went through TSA, people off the planes coming back inside, and we all went underground to the storm shelter. And you had thousands of people downstairs. My kids and my wife, my wife was separated from us. No cell activity. We couldn't do anything because, like, no, no connection to any wireless network. And so about 45 minutes to an hour later, we all got invited to go back upstairs. The storm had passed. So we're looking at all the TV screens. They were once showing flight schedules, and now it's showing local news stations. And in one particular, there was this woman standing reporting from a subdivision that had just been demolished. And she was actually giving her report right in front of this tree. This tree was planted over 180 years ago. It had deep, deep roots. We lived in Tornado Alley, a little something we ain't got to worry about in the West most of the time. But that tree had lived through storms. It had lived through high winds. It had lived through other tornadoes. It was immovable and it was secure because it was deeply rooted. And what's amazing is the fact that every home that was newly built was destroyed. The winds came and destroyed that home. And that tree was a testament of what rooted really looks like. See, rooted is being different from planted. Planted is when you put a, a plant in a clay pot. Those roots are stifled and they're stopped when they meet the clay pot. To be planted means you can be moved easy. You can die quickly. You're consistently dependent and if that need is not met, you wither away. But being rooted means, no, I strive and I strain and I survive through all the storms. 
That's what God is saying for this church, is that he says, I don't want y'all planted. I want y'all rooted together in prayer, in the word, so you're saturating the soil of the love of Christ amongst you. Because, see, Jesus loves us enough to tell us entering into the kingdom of God is going to come through many tribulations. He didn't say by embracing me, all life's problems go away. No, every life problem is an opportunity for more togetherness and deeper rootedness in the love of Christ together as the people of God. Fearless request number three, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is saying that Jesus' love goes beyond our ability to even know and understand how much he loves us. We can't know how much Jesus loves us. We can only experience the short increments, but we have to go back to the word of God to see the big picture of his love for us. And when I stand on the shoreline on the beach at the city of Long Beach, well, the first couple of feet is like tires and debris and pollution. Nasty. You don't want to go swimming in that water. But when I look past and when the smog is even cleared out on a gorgeous, sunny Southern California day, I can see Catalina Island in the distance. But what I know is that the Pacific Ocean doesn't stop at Catalina Island. It goes way beyond. So even though my visibility is limited, and even though I recognize I can only visibly see and understand based on what I see how big the Pacific Ocean is, I got to look at a map. I got to look at satellite picture. I got to get the big picture to be reminding me how vast the ocean is. Well, the love of Christ is greater than every body of water combined together on planet Earth. And sometimes we get limited in our visibility of the love of God. We get limited by obstacles and the smog of thoughts from the evil one or unconfessed sin. And it just, it just makes everything murky and we doubt that he loves us. We doubt that there's grace sufficient for us in our struggle. But we have to look back at the word of God, which is the big picture, to say, oh, I love you more than you can even imagine, fathom, or see. Now, when you get people collected together, that are secure in the love that Christ has for them, then they are, they are going to make extravagant requests to their father because they know he's the only one that can answer them. And in those confessions of requests, whether it is physical healing, whether it is assistance financially, whether it is healing in your marriage, healing in your heart, maybe it is putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, whatever those requests are, that is what leads us to a focus on family fellowship is that it leads us to greater levels of togetherness. That's why Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now this passage often in America is used for a financial come up, as if we serve a jackpot Jesus. That if I just throw all my random financial requests up and I quote this passage, that Jesus is like a genie in a Bible where I rub it and say what I wish for and he's got to give it to me. No, that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage, verses 20 and 21, is legit talking about the flourishing of a local church that is so thick and so heavy that it can't be contained by the walls that they gather in to meet as the one family of God. That God is answering prayers of fearless requests made in faith by his own children who have face-to-face -face time with the Father that the world around is like, dang, what is this? And they began to acquire. 
See, they see it, but they don't want to believe it. But often when we don't believe him, they don't get to see him work in our midst. And that's what he's saying. What he's saying is that he deserves glory. That word glory literally means to engage something, to encounter it, to experience it, and then basically you express your findings. It's about having a right assessment and evaluation and giving a reputation to what you have encountered. I tell people, I think one of the best ways I can help myself understand the reality of glory is by talking about one of my weaknesses in life. Superman has kryptonite. Damon Horton has cheeseburgers. That's just my weakness, man. I'm just being honest with y'all. We family, I'm going to be honest, keep a hundred with y'all. I've tried cheeseburgers uh, around the country. I've been in different spaces, and, and I tell people that the greatest cheeseburger that I go back to that is consistent, that is faithful, that is always on point is uh, the double-double animal style from In-N-Out. There's no other way around it. There's no other way around it. Remember when I talked about diversity and unity? Now stay with me. Now stay with me. I know you have a different perspective. It's all good. I respect it. I've tried all the other ones. I really have. I gave it an opportunity. But you know what I love about In-N-Out double-double animal style is it's the same. It never disappoints. It's cooked to order. In-N-Out don't pay me to say this stuff. I just say it because I'm a walk-in Yelp review for them. I just happen to give them five stars. Why? Because I've enacted, I've encountered, I've experienced, and now I'm just simply expressing a rightful, qualified assessment of what I have tasted and seen, and it is good. And I tell people, as for me and my house, we will patronize in and out. But in a greater way than any cheeseburger could ever give sufficient satisfaction for my stomach. My soul is completely satisfied in Jesus Christ. Satisfied in Christ. And if you are part of the family of God, this is the opportunity for you to be a living, walking Yelp review. Five-star communicating glory to God. Glory how? Because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have encountered him. You have experienced him. Now it is your opportunity to express to others. Because it says that to him be the glory where? In the church. The glory has to come from the church. We have tasted and seen of all that they do not know. Maybe they have heard the testimony of others, but they have never taken time to intersect their heart and their mind with the true reality of this true and living God. That's where you and I come in. We cannot divorce any awakening from expressing glory to our God. And as we gather and we talk about how He is compassionate, how He is kind, how He is merciful, all those words that you were shouting out when Pastor Van said, come on, talk back. What has God done for you? How is He good? And you're saying those words, that's glory. And the idea of an awakening is that that glory is so thick that it seeps out of the church that it goes throughout Las Vegas, all throughout the West, all over the world. And what's amazing is that God has his people, not just here in Vegas, but he's got a global movement in mind, a global awakening we should be praying for and participating in, that people would begin to hear these evaluations of this good and glorious God that is giving praise and honor to glory in Christ, not just for your generation, but see what it says? All generations. All generations. 
We want an awakening that is not just now. The Jesus movement was the Jesus movement. What happened when Billy Graham preached at Washington and Hill Street in Los Angeles is in 1949. That's then. This is now. We need a movement now. There are generational needs now. There are people who don't know the word Billy Graham. There are people that don't know about the Jesus movement. There are people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our time. This is our moment. This is the movement that God is saying, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the grave, and Christ will shine on you. But how will they know and hear unless we preach? But how will we preach unless we say, send me, here I am? But how will we say, send me, unless we first receive the invitation to be with our Father? As Pastor Vance and the worship team comes up, let's go before the Lord and let's make fearless requests. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word that is timely and timeless. Father, I pray that your spirit would stir the souls of every person in this place. Father, I pray that an awakening will happen, Lord God, in such a way that you would be given glory in the church, glory given to Christ not just for the living generations that are present now, Lord God, but for the generations, Lord Jesus, that will populate this earth until you return. Father, for those in this place that have never put their faith in Jesus, Lord, move in the miraculous that only you can move and bring them into the kingdom today. Let them know that they have not ran so far that they have outran your grace. Let them know that your love for them is greater than they could ever imagine. Let them just stop running and receive your word, your goodness, and your grace. You chased me down and pursued me when I ran from you. Father, you'll do the same for anyone in this place. Speak to us in this moment. Give us clarity on how you desire for us to respond. For it is in the conquering name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Damon, for that powerful, powerful word. Amen. Now we're going to respond to what we've heard today. In just a moment, our team is going to come, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing a song of worship. And I don't say this tritely. I say it sincerely. This is not a time to try to be the first one to the cars. You can be the first one out of the parking lot. This is an opportunity for us to allow God to finish this morning what he's begun in us as we respond to him. And I believe sincerely that there are two groups of people today that need really to respond. First of all, maybe you're here and you're like DA talked about earlier. You're somebody who doesn't know God. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been in a church service. Maybe somebody invited you here because you're walking through some real brokenness or valley in your life, and you're here today just because, man, I think I need God. And you maybe even came hoping that by going to church, you could move yourself closer to God. But I hope you heard today that going to church and trying to be a good person and trying to be religious, none of that is the currency 
by which we can have our relationship with God reconciled. There's nothing you can do, nothing I can do to save myself. But here's the good news of the Bible. What D.A. just talked about, what you and I cannot do on our own, Christ did for us. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and by grace given a relationship with God. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you don't know what it means to be forgiven. In just a moment when we stand and sing, we've got pastors that are already here with me along the front. You can come to one of these pastors today and simply say, I need Jesus. That's all you got to say. If you forget that, don't worry about it. Just stand here. We'll know why you've come. But you just come today and say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and show you from the Bible how you can leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven. God is your Father and heaven is your eternal home. You can have that today because of Jesus. He'll give it to you by grace because of Christ has already paid all the debt that we owe. So all you got to do is come. But there's a second group today. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. And as D.A. talked about today, those, those fearless requests that we can bring to the Father, that we can come to Him with the burden of our soul. Maybe you're here today and you have one of those fearless requests. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with a child that's far from God. Maybe it's with an area of struggle in your own life. Maybe it's God's financial provision, whatever it is, but, but you have a burden today. I hope you heard from DA. I hope you heard the truth from the Word of God that you don't have to earn your way into God's favor. You are a loved, accepted child of the Father, and you can run into His presence and throw your burden at His feet. So we're going to take these steps up here and open them up like an old-fashioned altar today. And maybe you just want to run to one of these altars and run to the presence of your Father and pour out that burden before Him. And what's His promise? He will do exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything we can ask, think, or imagine as we cry out to Him. So the altars are going to be open. Our pastors are going to be here. Maybe you want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family. As God speaks to you, the pastors are here. The altars are open. We're going to sing and worship to God. You respond as He leads. Lord, have your way in this moment. God, for those that are here today that don't know Jesus, Lord, I pray in this moment you'd give them the boldness to come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Jesus. I pray for salvation today, God. I pray for healing today. I pray for deliverance today. God, would you move in power? It's in the name of Jesus we pray.